Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshwara Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Today's title is The Question of Sovereignty. This is an audio fix. I guess we did this a while ago and the audio didn't work, but we got it working now, I believe. Um, and we're not here. Let's see, Scott and Adrian aren't here today, so I'll be doing this by myself. Before we get started, um, got a couple of things. One thing, I was uh, I went to the dentist to get my teeth cleaned the other day. And sitting in the waiting room, there was a, a man and a woman, his wife, were uh, <clears throat> there. And we just started talking, you know. And it was an interesting conversation. Uh I don't know how politically correct I'm going to sound, but I'll just say it the way I experienced it. You know, uh, they were very, you know, uh, I'd say middle class flyover country. It seemed to me they lived in, you know, these mountains their whole life. I don't know. Uh, very nice people. And, uh, oh, she started talking about, you know, politics and the news and stuff. And it was just interesting to hear the um, the way she spoke, you know. She was saying that kind of like, you know, people should just leave each other alone and we all have our own lives and our own way of living and we're kind of pushing too much on other people. And it got me to thinking, you know, with the technological age the way it is, uh, it's very different now uh, with television and cable and all the channels and all the different news stations and everything. And I think she even brought this up. It's like all these different people from all these different walks of life and nations and belief systems are all, you know, coming into your living room every night and basically laying their rap on you, you know, and, uh, oh, we can make arguments in favor or against that, I guess, either way but there was an innocence and a purity to the way that she was saying it. And she came across quite intelligent and, uh, but very, you know, very humble and down to earth. Uh, and I thought she had a point, you know, uh, and I kind of got off on, I didn't mention this to them, but I got off on this kind of silly tangent. You know, they talk about, you know, the prime directive where UFO people, you know, they would have a prime directive kind of like in the Star Trek TV show, uh, where they're not supposed to come and interfere. But, you know, you hear these things about how we're getting technologies from UFO people before we're ready to handle it. And uh, as a result of that, uh, you know, people are having too many different things imposed upon them that as a species we're not ready for, which would be kind of consistent with what she was saying, at least in the tangential sense. But I just thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I just thought I'd share it with you. Another thing um, that I wanted to share before we get started uh, uh, with the topic of this podcast, which is the question of sovereignty. Uh, but, you know, there's a person that's been listening. Well, at first they were reading my blogs. They've been reading them for many years. And now they're, uh, uh, you know, listening to the podcast. They live in Europe, so I've never met them, but I feel close with them, you know. We've corresponded just a little bit here and there through the years. And uh, 
uh, he, he texted a few questions. I thought I would just share them with you because, you know, they're interesting. Uh, for one thing about the enlightened city and how um, we're going from a period of Kali Yuga to a period of Sat Yuga right in the midst of Kali, as has been predicted. And he asked, you know, is, is the enlightened city going to happen because we're going into Sat Yuga or is the enlightened city being built the thing that's going to bring forth Sat Yuga, you know, potentially along with other things or, or what? And uh, uh, really the answer to that, it's, I think, kind of profound, you know. There's a simultaneity, simultaneity to things. Uh, it's not like one thing causes the other, but it's rather that they happen simultaneously. Uh, and it's not a coincidence. So we, we can't really say that the coming to Satyuga created the enlightened city, that the enlightened city created uh, uh, Yuga. It's kind of like they both emerged simultaneously with infinite correlation, you see? And I'm sure there are other things, of course, in the world that are um, uh, part of that uh, dynamic, you see. Uh, <clears throat> now, at the same time, where people sometimes go with that is like, well, if it's going to happen anyway, then, you know, why do I have to bother? Why do we have to bother? It's going to happen. And so just let's just relax. And if it happens, it happens. And if the enlightened city happens, it's meant to be. And that's not the way it works either. Because, uh, and we can look at that two different ways. We can say effort is part of the equation of the simultaneous occurrence of events. Simultaneously with the manifesto of the enlightened city and uh, of Satyuga would be the effort to create it. Uh, and so then the question becomes, well, if you don't effort, would it happen? And because everything is so simultaneous, that question is really self-contradictory because uh, it all happens in unison together. Uh, and so, you know, if we didn't effort, would it happen? Well, we could argue no, but we could also argue that we will effort because it is going to happen, you see? So that's kind of how it works. So it's not this cause and effect sequentiality kind of thinking that we've been uh, acclimated to uh, believe in, you know. It's more profound. Um, we also said, you know, I talked about the technology of the enlightened city and how it, speaking in a causal sense, brings about the, the uh, enlightened age. And he asked about, well, are there other ancient technologies? And he gave something like, can you grow back teeth or an amputated arm or, you know, just all sorts of different possibilities. And the, the thing about the answer to that, too, is really quite profound. And it, um, I guess from a physics perspective, we could talk about Heisenberg and the probability cloud. You know, uh, if you've got an electron going by and you grab it, probably you'll find it somewhere in this localized area. But that's just a probability. It might be here, it might be here. There's a certain probability to it, but it could be here. And there's even a possibility that it could be here. And there's another possibility that could be on the other side of the moon. Possibilities become more remote, but it is possible. 
And so the uh, uh, idea there's like if you have a dump truck and you dump a load of sand off the back of the truck, <clears throat> every time you're going to get a pile. It's just a bell curve probability. But you will find some grains of sand that bounce and end up in the front of the truck. There's a possibility of that. So the other component, though, to that is that we have freedom. We have free will. The bell curve itself is just karmic, you know, but if we are integrated in our own awareness, in our own physiology, so that that field of all possibilities underlying all existence, that field of infinite creativity, Activity, <clears throat> infinite intelligence, unboundedness. If we have access to that, which is our own true nature, and if our whole physiology and our awareness and our psyche all the way out to the surface are fully integrated with that, then we have free will. And so then we can influence where that electron manifests or, or what we do, what our relationship with this field of all possibilities is. And so in that case, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And it's all a function of level of evolution, you see. Now, <clears throat> we could get it <clears throat> into uh, a purva. A purva is that matrix, that substrate that connects cause with effect. And uh, a purva changes over time. So that the cause in one era of time will have a different effect uh, than that same cause at a different time when the Apoorva has changed. So now we live in a time when the Apoorva, well, I'll just say it this way, it's kind of clogged up. I don't know if that's the right way to say it or not, but so <clears throat> as a result, some of these possibilities are more remote and more difficult to attain just because of the connection between cause and effect has been uh, compromised for lack of a, a better way to say it. Um, so you see there are a lot of factors, the bottom line, that, that come into play with respect to that. But ultimately, yeah, as the age of enlightenment comes, as Satyuga comes, the quality of the Apurva will shift. And as it shifts, then the field of all possibilities the Vedic technologies that produce those possibilities will become more accessible, more uh, 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 capable of manifesting their full potential. And uh, in that case, anything you can think of, you know, it's, it's all possible. And because though we, to access those possibilities, we're living in harmony with natural law, they will be uh, life supporting. They will be natural, they will be harmonious. Uh, they'll be in harmony with that which created and sustains this whole universe, you see? Okay. Um, oh, and then he asked about the enlightened city and how far along we are in its, its progress. Well, they say that well begun is half done, and if that's the case, we're further than half done. But there's still a lot to do, and on a physical manifestation perspective, we're just a fraction of having everything built here that we want to have built. And he asked when that would happen. You know what? It's just a matter of money. Uh, and I keep thinking, and maybe through these podcasts, all we need is one person to hear this. 
one billionaire, you know, to hear this and get inspired and donate the money. And then we could have it all built in a few years, probably a little more than three years, but, you know, right away. And uh, uh, we'll see when that happens, you know. As they say, nature organizes best. So we just keep pushing in that direction, leaning in that direction, and uh, it'll happen when it does. Um, he also asked about the inauguration. You know, when once the temple is built, there's a whole big, huge ceremony. It lasts for days. Lots of pundits come, and there are havens and pujas and everything's being done all day long, every day. And they're incredibly powerful. When we built the temple, it was unbelievable. And uh, those are done periodically just to kind of re-enliven uh, the whole thing. And so in either two next year or the year after sometime in there, <clears throat> we're going to do it again for our existing temple. And I'd encourage you not to miss it. I mean, the experience is incredible, you know, and uh, very powerful. And uh, I remember um, a while ago, the kalash, the top of the temple, had a leak. And so water was when it rained was getting in. So we had to fix that. And to do that, you have to remove the kalash. And that's a whole ceremony. Pundits involved and everything has to be done properly, you know. And... Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, I'll never forget. It's one of those the, when the kalash was finally all ready and everything was done, and the, the kalash started to come off. The weather shifted. I mean, it was like something like in the Wizard of Oz, you know. And it was just not the wind and storms and hail, and it's just unbelievable and powerful. Uh, uh, and so when we do the inauguration for the whole enlightened city, when it's completed, I just can't imagine what that's going to be like, you know? Um, just, I have to confess that I was, I've been so focused the past 20 years on building all of this that uh, I kind of, uh, didn't really notice just how powerful it was the thing that we were, we were creating and uh i guess i underestimated its power and uh, uh well it's like they say when the have shiva which is like that value in the absolute and then you have rudra which is when sh the power of shiva starts to manifest into the relative and that's why rudra can be you know considered fearful because any kind of impurity that's in the environment or anything, he just blows it out, you know? And, uh, uh, as we built the Shiva temple and as this value started to permeate into the relative, we noticed that, I mean, it was a very, very powerful thing. And I underestimated, to be honest, that the power, just how powerful it is, what we what was, what we were building. Uh, and I learned my lesson, you know, uh, and I think it was a good thing that I learned it now, uh, because when we do now complete the rest of the enlightened city, it's going to be way more powerful, 2,500 times more powerful if you do the math and, um, I'll be ready for it, you know, and we'll realize how there's a whole area there that has to be managed so carefully that we really 
didn't have our attention on uh, with the first temple. Uh, so at any rate, uh, it almost seemed, I don't know if you've seen that television series Lost where they went to this island, it was kind of a magical island. Sometimes it almost feels like Mount Selma is like that, you know, it's just like, wow, I mean, this is unbelievable, you know, it's, what's going on here. So the good news too is though it confirms, you know, what we're doing is working, you know. Um, all right, so having uh, talked about all of that, I'd, I'd like to get onto the subject of the day, which is the question of sovereignty. You know, uh, I, I heard some people use the word sovereignty and, and uh, it just got me thinking about it. And, you know, we talk about a sovereign nation. And I think it might have even been in the context, I think it was, that, you know, this is a sovereign nation, the United States. And so the border, you have to have borders. If there's no borders, if there's no regulation in that regard, you don't have a nation. So there's a certain sovereignty. So I looked up um, the word sovereignty. I got, and boy, look it up in the dictionary, on, on online, whatever. It's, they talk about it in terms of supreme authority or absolute power over a territory. And uh, to me, those are almost like spooky words, you know, absolute reign over a territory. And they talk about the sovereigns, you know, back the sovereign king where, you know, what they said goes. That was the law of the land and they could do anything they wanted, you know. And uh, um, different countries have their own sovereign sovereignties and how they're structured. And in the United States, you know, we structured around the Constitution and uh, uh, it's, it's a very interesting structure to take a look at because the federal government, the main governing body that has the sovereignty over the nation, right in the very structure of the Constitution, delegated a lot of that power to sovereignty away from the federal government to the states, the whole idea of states' rights. And uh, then it defined what the sovereignty, what the rights of the federal government were. And it made it clear in there that anything that wasn't stated as uh, the rights of the federal government automatically deferred to the states. So now the states have sovereignty. And the way the federal government, in fact, is run is that we send representatives from each state and they vote. And that's what Congress is, House and Senate, you know. Um, Then there's this concept of citizens' uh, sovereignty. And some people try to use that where, like, you know, they want to claim their own sovereignty and so they don't have to pay taxes, you know, for example. But the idea is if there's no governing sovereignty, then what do you have? You have anarchy. So there's a certain balance there between states' rights, federal government rights, individual rights, and it's all about sovereignty. You know, you can look at the whole thing in terms of so sovereignty. And that, and so whose who's right is it? Who has the sovereignty to uh, decide about the borders, decide whether or not uh, you can force somebody to uh, receive a vaccination? And, and those things get complicated, you know? Uh, yeah, there's freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean you can yell fire in a crowded uh, movie theater, for example. Uh, and so then the question becomes, well, can somebody walk into a grocery store who's not been vaccinated and maybe give the disease and kill off a bunch of people that are in the grocery store? Uh, uh, isn't that similar to yelling fire in a crowded theater? Uh, on the same time, 
where where does it end if the government has the right to inject something that isn't even FDA approved into the arms of all the people and force it? Otherwise, they're not allowed to go to the grocery store. So it gets this whole issue of sovereignty. Uh, boy, it's it's complicated and, and challenging, you know. And it's all where you draw the line. You know, I think we can all. And you got to be really extreme to think that okay, it's pure anarchy is the only right way to go, you know. And then on the other extreme is the whole kind of Star Trek idea, you know. In the movie Star Trek, it's like there's this kind of loose notion of the government, nature of the governing body uh, at that time. There's no money, there's no this or that, and and uh, uh, and it's almost you know, get the feeling like there's this one universal law for the whole Federation, but then. That gets difficult, certainly in our day and age, if that ever did work, we're not ready for it now. Because, you know, the laws of nature on top of the Hamayas have got to be different than the laws of nature in the desert. So the governing bodies are going to be different to interface the people with the environment, you know. So it all becomes very interesting, you know. Um, and then, of course, there's the notion of uh, ultimate sovereignty. Where's inalienable rights as they refer to it in the constitution uh where does real sovereignty come from it comes from nature inalienable rights means it's our nature to have the right to freedom in certain ways it's our nature to uh uh life it's an inalienable it's our right you know and so uh there's a natural sovereignty if you want to well it's a divine sovereignty it's given to us by our own inherent nature or i think as they say in the constitution from god you know uh and so sovereignty becomes a very interesting question and a very difficult one i think for um for us to really fathom and draw the lines wherever we do you know a couple of interesting quotes uh, one thing i heard that i found that was really interesting when i first heard it and it said that uh, it's almost like a fly in the ointment. It says democracy comes along when there's nobody around left who's uh, fit to lead. Now that becomes very strange because in one sense, if we had a wisdom of Solomon leader, some great enlightened being who could make all these causes with infinite wisdom correlated with the divinity of existence and our own true natures, that'd be great, wouldn't it? At the same time, what happens when that person drops the body and somebody else comes along who's a tyrant? And we have a system set up for a sole leader. So even that um, can become difficult. Uh, another thing that's tangential to that that I want to bring up, and that is on the news now when they talk about the COVID virus and stuff, you hear a lot of stuff about people saying, well, I'm not a doctor, but. And then they give an opinion about the virus or how to control it. And I mean, I can see how I'm going to get in trouble with this one, but I just got to say it. I think we hold doctors, MD doctors, you know, physicians too much on high. And I think a lot of that comes from our own identity with our own body. They're the ones that are helping us take care of our bodies and our bodies are so intimate to us. But I have to say, you know, I was in pre-med. I was a veterinarian. I'm a veterinarian. And uh, before that, I was a physics and math major. And I'm telling you, I mean, there are 
they're good people and they're well-intended and I don't mean to knock them and some of them are brilliant, but by and large, I didn't find uh, healthcare professionals to be all that profoundly intelligent. Uh, you can get through pre-med and you can get through medical school, not by being intelligent, but just by being willing to memorize, you know, and memorize is, doesn't really make intelligent. And when it comes to uh, immunology or when it comes to nutrition, the average MD does not have that many classes in it. They do not know that much about it. Uh, uh, and I, so I think if one good thing, if I can say it that way, that may come out of this COVID thing is I think people are realizing that about uh, uh, MDs. You know, they have different opinions about the virus and how to handle it, and they all disagree, and they don't really know, and they contradict themselves, and uh, uh, it's it's become a mess. But I think, um, I mean, maybe some good will come out of it, you know? Maybe some good will come out of it. Uh, that's just a tangential thought. Whatever is going on, though, I think there's a great awakening coming. Uh, we, we are sobering up from uh, a lot. Uh, not just about MDs or, or anything like that, but in a larger sense, sovereignty in general, who has sovereignty over whether or not we get a shot, you know, on and on. And again, I'm not, I'm doing my best to not give my opinion on how we should handle these things or what we should do. It's not what this is about. It's more of an invitation for you to think for yourself and not to just cling to whatever it is you've been for whatever reason indoctrinated into. Maybe your family and peers think that way. Maybe you live in a community where everybody thinks a certain way and you just kind of got caught up in the wave. And also not to rebel just for the sake of rebellion, but to really think, you know, like I said in the previous podcast, these days, the news is the news. So you can't just watch one news channel because then you're getting a perspective. But the news is how all these different news channels are giving different perspectives. And that's what's in the news. And then you can look at the motivation behind what's really going on behind the scenes. How can these opinions differ so much and with such conviction, you know? So there was a time when a lot of people, oh, I don't watch the news and stuff. Okay, but now is not that time. We have to pay attention. There's a huge transition going on in the world. And you need to be informed, really, please. Watch the channels, not just the news channels you like, but maybe even more importantly, the ones you don't like. And hear their different opinions and think and take a step back from the perspective you've been clinging to and, and, and uh, evolve your thinking. Work with it. It's a critical time. It's a critical time. And uh, a great phase transition into the enlightened age is coming, and that's definitely an integral part of it, that we all start to expand our attention, expand our awareness, expand our perspective, expand our insights. Okay, well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and we will talk with you again next time on Ancient Secrets Revealed.